0: Keep your finger in place right there in Ecclesiastes 5. I'm going to look at this in a moment. Let's pray before we do. Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have of holding your word in our hands. May we not take that for granted. May the Spirit of God take the words of this page that have been inspired by you, breathed by you, and to take these words and drive them home to our hearts, that we'd be tuned in to you this morning. We would listen to you this morning and what you have to say to our lives. Touch us. Speak to us. Challenge us. encourage us. Exhort us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The story is told of two elderly women who were out on a Sunday drive. As they came to an intersection, the stoplight was red, but they just went right on through. The woman in the passenger seat thought to herself, I must be losing it. I could have sworn we just went through a red light. A few minutes later, they came to another intersection, the light was red, and again they went right through. This time, the passenger was almost sure that the light had been red, but was really concerned that maybe she was imagining this. So she started to pay even closer attention to the road and the next intersection. At the next intersection, sure enough, the light was definitely red, and they went right on through. Well, the passenger had seen enough, so she turned to the driver, and she said, Helen, did you know we just ran through three red lights in a row? You could have killed us! Helen, startled, Turned to her passenger friend and said, Oh, am I driving? (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever ever driven someplace so familiar to you that you don't really remember the drive itself? Has that ever happened? It's happened to me. We sort of put it on autopilot and we go our way. Listen, we have come into this sanctuary so many times that if we aren't Careful, we will put it on autopilot and sort of just cruise along. As we've been making our way through the book of Ecclesiastes, the challenge has been to live for what really matters in life and to fight against going through the motions and settling for a subnormal Christian walk. And perhaps there is no greater risk of going through the motions, than when it comes to worship. This may be a heavy word this morning. may be tough to swallow. You may be thinking, "So what's new?" <laughs> Preaching has been defined as comforting the disturbed and disturbing the comfortable. The subject today falls into the latter of those two purposes. And who knows? I may even make you mad this morning. All I ask is that you don't worry about me, but rather listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to your heart today. In the last 15 years or so, there have been more worship wars dividing the church than almost any other battle from within. Today's purpose is not to address certain styles and forms of worship, for that would miss the points. But will you put those preferences aside for a moment? And please, do me a favor. Do the reputation of the evangelical church a favor. And in all our discussions and debates and disagreements, let's never forget the object of our worship. That is Solomon's point in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. Certainly to worship the right God is the starting place, but then we should examine ourselves to be sure that we are worshiping that God in the right way. As we walk into the familiar, stay alert. As we walk into the familiar, stay alert. Our attention this morning is on the first seven verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. If you're not there, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to make sure what I'm saying is here. That's important. It's on the first seven verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Solomon, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, goes from the ordinary streets of all the lonely people, as we saw last week, to the temple where he's looking on his worshippers come and go. Another futility he addresses is the meaninglessness of mechanical worship. Now, before we look at the passage in more detail, let me remind you of the significance of the temple in the Old Testament. In our Sunday night study last week, we spoke of the magnificent and expensive temple. That by God's direction, Solomon and his crew of builders pulled out all the stops when it came to the construction of this temple. Now, the temple in the Old Testament was the place where people met with God. If you wanted to know God, you went to the temple. If you had a sacrifice to bring, you went to the temple. If you had a sin to confess or you wanted to hear about God, you went to the temple. The life of the people revolved around this temple. It was considered sacred and the dwelling place of God. Now when Jesus died, Scripture tells us that the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. We don't need the temple anymore because we have Jesus living in us. For all who know Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within you. In the New Testament times in which we live, it is said that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So wherever we go, in one sense, church is in session. Really? Now, contrary to what is often thought, this place right here is not a holy place in and of itself. The family is what makes this place what it is. Now and again, on Saturday nights while sleeping, I have these very weird dreams about Sunday's service. Imagine that. One of those dreams is of my showing up and no one is here. I hope I never lived that dream. But if this room was empty this morning, then this building means nothing as impressive as it is. What makes this place meaningful is that you are here and we are here together. That's it. The where of our gathering is secondary to the when and the why of our gathering. And that is what this section of Scripture is all about. We have here a three-dimensional view of worship. Solomon observes the before of worship. He observes the during of worship. And he observes the after of worship, if you will. The first view is of Solomon watching the worshipers coming into the temple, the before. Look at verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 5. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps. As parents, we sometimes say to our children as they're bordering disrespect, watch your step, young man. Right? In other words, you're only a step from crossing that line. The thought of of guarding your steps is to walk prudently. It is to remember the object of our worship before we even get there. Worship does not start when you open up the bulletin and you see the order for the morning. It doesn't. Worshiping God is not about being serious about him for one hour. It begins as you live your life during the week apart from this building before worship. Now do you suppose that you can watch all this trashy stuff on Saturday nights or verbally assault your spouse all week or spread juicy morsels of gossip throughout the week then somehow as you come and sit in the pew that you're magically zapped into a worshiper of God. Think again. We're to watch our steps as we come to the house of God before We watch our step by unmasking the phoniness and hypocrisy and being real and authentic. We watch our step by coming to corporate worship with a heart prepared to meet with God, to learn of Him, and being ready to be awestruck by Him. We watch our step by dealing with what is on the inside of our lives. See, no matter how decked out you may be or how good you may look on the outside, it is what's going on the inside that counts. It doesn't matter how nice we sound or not sound when we sing, because God doesn't listen to us through the speakers. He listens to us through a stethoscope. God puts a stethoscope on our chests and on our backs, and he hears what is happening on the inside. So the question is, how are you preparing for corporate worship? The before. Are you watching your step before you get here? As we walk into the familiar, stay alert. Solomon then observes the worshiper during worship. He offers two insights to keep us from worshiping as a fool. The first word of insight during worship that he gives us is go near to listen. It says in the middle of verse 1, after it says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen. Go near to listen. I guess this is saying we need to get here early so we can get the seats in the front. (laughs) Hey, we're Baptists. That ain't happening. (laughs) I heard of this church in a little town that experienced rapid growth, and they had outgrown their building the members formed a committee to plan and build a new church. The committee requested the pastor stay focused on caring for the flock and they would handle the details of the church construction. So the pastor agreed and he kept his hands off. As the new building was nearing completion, the committee chairman invited the pastor to view the new church and particularly the new sanctuary. Entering through the main doors, the pastor noted only the last row of pews had been installed. Well, since people always fill the last rows of pews, we had a special feature installed, the chairman said, and the chairman then pressed a button on the wall, and the pew moved forward, and another row of empty pews popped up. (laughs) The pastor was impressed. This is good stuff. Well, the first day finally arrived for the first worship service in the new building, and the pastor looked out as the pews filled from the back and moved forward, and he was ecstatic. When the time came for the sermon, the pastor was so filled with joy he delivered his prepared message and then some. At twelve noon, the time when the service was to end was to end. The pastor was still going strong. The church bells began to ring, and another feature that was installed took effect. Yeah, the pastor and the pulpit slowly descended from view. <laughs> All I can say is, dream on. What is meant by coming near to listen? Sitting in the front? Does it have to do with where you're seated? No. Coming near to listen is an attitude. It is an attitude of expectancy that God is going to speak today. It is to sit on the edge of our seats with an eagerness to learn from him. Corporate worship does include music and, and praying and, and readings and other things, but also listening to the Word of God. You are worshiping right now. And sadly, folks, the pulpit ministry in churches is taking a nosedive. Wordless worship that churches are adopting is unbiblical and dangerous. I am committed to preaching God's Word because I love you and care for you and I want you to hear what God has to say. And you may not at times like what I have to say, but please ask, is God saying it? Because if He's speaking, even if it stings, you want to listen to it. Come near to listen. Is that your attitude? Is that mine? Do we come ready to hear from the Lord? Or are we resisting what the Lord is trying to say to us on the insides? A little boy and his mom were driving in the car. And the boy was in the back seat and he continued to get out of his seatbelt and stand up. The mom kindly asked the boy to sit down and that didn't work. So she again spoke to him with more firmness and he continued to do as he pleased. He continued to stand up. She finally spoke to him sternly, Young man, you need to sit down right now. Well, the boy sat down, and, and the mom looked in the rearview mirror, and so he had this angry look on his face. He spoke through his clenched teeth. He said, Well, I may be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm still standing. <laughs> and I wonder, I wonder, In what way might we be sitting on the outside, but still standing on the inside with resistance? Coming near to listen is to come with a desire to obey. And believe me, the greatest compliment you can give to a sermon is obedience. It is possible to keep coming to church, yet keep doing the wrong things. Why? Because we're not listening. We ought to listen. Come near to listen. Not only are we to listen more, we ought to speak less. Solomon's second word about the worshiper during worship is watch your mouth. Follow along as I read verse 2. Go, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. We need to watch our mouths. We need to watch all our Christian cliches. We need to pay attention to the words we're saying as we sing. I mean, we say, all to Jesus I surrender, I surrender all. But do we really mean I surrender some? We say, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. Is it all? We say, every breath that I take, every moment I am awake, Have your way in me. Really? Mechanical, empty worship utters words without thinking about what we are saying. God is in heaven. He hears the inaudible, He sees the invisible. So we should keep our minds engaged as we walk into the familiar. Stay alert. We need to watch our mouths. Also, by not promising all kinds of things in a moment of enthusiasm or crisis. God is not impressed with the amount of words or the dreaming we might do during worship. That's what he's saying in verses two and three. Or when we might say things when emotions are stirred up and we come to church and say, I'm serious this time. I've had people in the past ask me, why don't you have this big altar call at the end of the service? Well, partly because I don't want to set you up for words spoken in haste. I am not saying, I am not saying others are wrong for doing so or that I will never do that. But many promises have been made in the moment of emotion. I have watched many men go forward at Promise Keepers events. I have watched many teens stand to be counted at youth retreats. I have watched many respond to the challenge of the moment with lots of promises and words of intent. Hear me on this. There is a place for a calling, for a response, but this section of Scripture, along with Jesus' words in the New Testament, when he says, Let your yes be yes and your no be no, is cause for great carefulness around this. God cannot be used. And we ought not to be flippant in what we say in a moment of crisis or enthusiasm or any other time. Listen more, speak less during worship. That's the word of instruction. It's what Solomon speaks to next following worship that drives all of this home. After worship, after you leave, it says in verses 4 through 6, get this, verse 4, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Do not protest to the temple messenger. Ah, oh, my vow was a mistake. Why should I, God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands. Keep your vows. Keep your vows. After worship, keep your vows. Life is a series of broken vows. Christians should be leading the field and faithfulness, but instead we're following the world and faithlessness. And Solomon Essence says it is better to not say anything at all than to say it and then not follow through on it. Now, this is where the message gets really hard. For me as well. How about those times when you cried out to God in a moment of crisis with a promise? Lord, see me through this. And I promise I'll go to church more often. I promise I'll give up this habit. I promise I'll give you more time to the the church and to my spouse and to my children. I promise I'll read through the entire Bible, even the book of Leviticus. I promise I'll never touch another girl sexually until I am married. I promise I will be a missionary. Just give me this job. Just see me through this pregnancy. Just intervene so that I'm not pregnant. Just bring my kid back. Just get me through this exam. Just help me through this crisis. Just answer this prayer. A wealthy oil tycoon lay on his deathbed, and he said to the pastor standing next to his bed, Pastor, he gasped, if God heals me, I'll give the church a million dollars. Well, miraculously, the man was revived, and within a few short weeks, he was out of the hospital. One day, several months later, he and the pastor bumped into each other in front of the hardware store. You know, the pastor said, when you were in the hospital dying, you promised to give the church a million dollars if you got well. We haven't got it yet, (laughs) Did I say that? The tycoon asked. I guess that goes to show you how sick I really was. (laughs) Yeah, trying to worm out of it. Here's a suggestion when your back is up against the wall, keep your mouth shut. Or someone else more aptly said, when in deep water, it is best to keep your mouth closed. (laughs) Is your word worth anything? Are you keeping your word only as it's convenient? The psalmist declared that a person of integrity keeps his word even when it hurts. Can you imagine what it would be like if everyone in this room kept their vows? So before you sign on to join a church, before you sign on to be there in sickness and in health, Before you sign on to lead that ministry, before you sign on to do that job, before you sign on to help, before you sign on to follow Christ no matter what, think it through. God cannot be used. And here's Solomon's bottom line on the subject, verse 7. He said, "...much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, therefore stand in awe of God." Worship begins and ends with standing in awe of God. And folks, much of worship today can be, am I pleased? Remember, don't think categories and styles. Self-pleasing shows up in all styles of worship. I like this, I don't like that, I wish we did this, I wish we didn't do that. Wait a minute, what about God? Is it really about my being pleased? Well, that depends. Am I leaving more satisfied in Him? Am I leaving more in awe of Him? Am I leaving with a greater understanding of how great God is? Is my worship on Sunday transforming my life? Is it changing the way I listen to Him? Is it changing my prayer life? Is it changing my thoughts of Him? Do I leave with a greater appreciation for Jesus' sacrifice? Does our gathering with the church family affect our witness as we scatter throughout the week? Do I leave here going, wow, what a God. Moses hid his face in the presence of God. Isaiah was broken when confronted with God. You say that's in the Old Testament. Because of Jesus, we can come to God and call on Him, Father, Abba, Daddy. Yes, that is true, but it's the same God. He's worthy of our silence. He's worthy of our expect, expect. What is it, Anticipation? What's the word? Why can't it come out? He's worthy of that. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of our willingness. He's worthy of our sacrifice. He's worthy of our brokenness. He's worthy of our reverence. He's worthy of all of it. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It's not fear in the sense of terror that causes me to run from him, but fear in the sense of breathtaking awe that draws me to him. He's not to be trifled with, he cannot be used. Believer, let's never forget the object of our worship. Let's never forget our duty as a worshiper. It's a lifestyle. Our worship is more about what goes on outside this building than inside this building. It's about taking God seriously and about walking the talk. It is about following through on our commitments to Him, the before. That affects the during and the after. Bill McCartney, founder of the Promise Keepers, said this. He said, when I took the job as head coach at the University of Colorado in 1982, I made a solemn promise. I told everybody that with me, God was first, family was second, and football was third. But I didn't keep that promise for long. The thrill and the challenge of resurrecting a football program in disarray simply took too much time and attention. As my teams kept winning year after year, I kept losing focus of my priorities. When we won the national championship in 1990, many people said I had reached the pinnacle of my profession, but for me, there was an emptiness about it. I had everything a man could want, and yet something was missing. I was so busy pursuing my career goals that I was missing out on the spirit-filled life that God wanted me to have, all because... I had broken my promise to put God first and foremost in my life. Worship begins and ends with standing in awe of God. It is asking all week through, does God approve? Is God pleased? What does he think of this? Before, during, and after worship. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. As much as this stings today, thank you. And I pray that we'd listen to what you have to say this morning. We'd tune into you. And we'd take the time to reflect on that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.